Hey team, have we got a corker for you today? Crowdfunding on a new platform I've not seen before, Lift Women. I think this is changing the landscape of side hustles and startups for women in Australia. This is a unique experience. This is the first crowdfunding project on the platform. It was oversubscribed. It's a women-founded business for women. I can't wait. Let's get into it. Three, two, one. Hi, team. I'm Matt, and welcome to Sideshow Hustle. Today, we'll traverse how a career professional in marketing communications took her 20 years of yoga experience and found a side hustle. She's had an oversubscribed crowdfunding campaign. She's taken out design awards. And she's doing it sustainably, ethically, and responsibly. Let's get into it. Meet this inspiring hustler. Welcome, Jen Painter. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. No problems. I reckon we jump straight in. I want you to set the scene and tell everybody a little bit of background about what did the young you study, want to be sort of career highlights before the hustle? I wanted to be everything. I I was one of those people who, if you gave me options A and B, I would find a way to try and get both. Normally, it was around desserts, <laughs> the, pav- yeah. the pavlova or the cheesecake, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that young me had an idea in mind. I ended up studying business and marketing because the way I looked at it, every single industry had some sort of business in it. So I figured if I did that, then I wasn't limiting my options. So you basically went down a business marketing path and that took you into a career working in? I took me to a career working, oh gosh, how far back do you want to go? I, um, oh, just, I guess like the sort of last the few years just before your side hustle. Okay, just, just before then. I Marketing within sort of a corporate space I ran events for a period of time and moved into marketing more traditionally, which is what I had studied from that. I've been working in the university space for a little while now. That's quite an interesting space in that they are such monsters of organizations. They are always changing and there are so many people and so many things happening. So that's where I've been sort of working as the day job and most recently doing sort of business development, helping align industry with students. And then just this year, uh, in response to the side hustle and that needing more of my time and attention, I've uh, moved into a part-time role and I'm managing a circular economy hub, which is really exciting because that's, I did actually warn the person I'm working under and say, hey, I've got a vested interest in this. I've got a personal project going on at the side. Um, don't know if that constitutes a conflict of interest, but I'm really interested in this role. So, The circular economy, for those that don't know, what is it? The circular economy is taking materials that would otherwise be discarded as waste and repurposing them and turning them into something new. So it's uh, not all that different from 
recycling, only they don't always go through a process in between. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're quite lucky to be able to go from like a, a career, I guess, get into your own project and then navigate your career as well towards where your sort of passion project is as well. Like that's it's unusual. People normally have to make a decision one way or another. I know. And somehow I've I've managed to to get them both running parallel, which is brilliant as well, because my previous roles it had been knock off at five, go straight to like I would literally shut down one browser, open up another <laughs> and get straight to work on the other piece and then it's been really nice to be in a space as well where you can be a bit open about what you're up to uh, on the times that you're not at work, that people know that you've got this other life. Yeah. So you've studied, you've gone into the corporate world, you're sort of trying to navigate a bit of a career out. For, there's a lot of people that are doing this. It's the, it's the well-worn path. The less sort of walked path is starting a side hustle. What was your driver or motivator at that moment in time to go, like, today's the day I do this? <laughs> do you know, it was sitting on the floor. I had um, just worked out how to make this crazy strap thing that I had created work. And I had it in my hands. I'm staring at it going, uh-oh, I need to share this. And then the realization that suddenly I had created a thing that was of value that didn't just solve my problem, but the other yogis out there who were struggling to carry the mat, all of their other stuff would find beneficial as well. And there was this realization of the responsibility that went with that discovery that suddenly I had to do something with it. But coming back to kind of, as you pointed out, that childhood sort of need to do everything. It wasn't really a shock to me to be bouncing into more. Yeah. Did like did your family have a history with this? Or was like the entrepreneurial spirit, the you know, doing things and not just being a PAYG employee? Like, was that something that was in the family? Did you have any kind of, you know, peers or did you have any examples in your life? No, not one. Both my parents are high school teachers. And my mum was mostly a stay-at-home mum when I was little and went back to kind of emergency teaching when we were bigger. So, and they, my dad had the same, not the same job, but was in the same school for a good 20-something years when that was possible and had a ham and cheese sandwich every day. <laughs> yeah, stability and routine. Stability and routine. Yeah, I'm really one of those fortunate people that had this wildly safe and stable childhoods, which I realize is you know, quite the privilege and the, and the luxury. Like it wasn't a fancy upbringing, but it was consistent. Yeah. At this point, we, in a few sentences, I guess we probably should know what is your side hustle? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> oh, that's the question. Right. Um, my side hustle is I teach yoga and I have created a yoga strap for carrying your yoga mat. So I, I offer both a, a service in my time with the teaching and then a product with the, the yoga strap, which is something that is a really exciting venture for people who are looking at new ways to challenge themselves, 
you know, it's there are so many people out there saying, yeah, go do drop shipping, and you're taking someone else's stuff and you're just selling it. Whereas creating something is really quite spectacular. And I, I guess like that leads to, and you sort of mentioned it before about the start of the idea, like you, you're probably it sounds like you were doing some yoga moves and you wanted to get more out of a stretch or something, and you've basically taken some fabric and wrapped it around your leg and pulled on it or something <laughs> like that. Um, is that roughly how it happened? Uh, it's it's a beautiful interpretation. And um, the oh, yoga yeah. the yoga strap has been around for a really long time. It's one of the the Lyenga original props. But what hasn't been around previously was a strap that converted from that stretching strap to a carry strap. So when I first started looking at how on earth am I going to carry all of my gear, I was looking at like things like baby carriers. I was getting really weird and stalky behind mums who had kids in like little kangaroo pouches on their back. Like, how does that work? What's that strap doing? <laughs> Is that weird clasp holding? How do, how's the weight supported? How's the kid not falling out? Right, yoga mat, you know, like it doesn't have two legs <laughs> like a child does. How on earth am I going to hold it at the bottom? So yeah, it's been a bit of time kind of messing around with those kind of ideas with looking at stuff that was being used already in the camping space, like how are people carrying their camp mats? Mostly they sit behind someone hit someone's head across the top of a bag. If you are cycling, don't ever do that. Just a word of warning for anyone thinking, yep, that's a great way to go about carrying your mat and your bag. You can't do a head check. Wildly dangerous. <laughs> you turn around, you've got a face full of mat. It's just, it's not a good idea. I've read that you've uh, learned a lesson also not to strap it to your handlebars. Oh, I've learned lots of lessons, but yes, the handlebars was a doozy as well. It can't get to your brakes. So yeah. you want to yeah. be able to do a head check. You want to be able to stop your bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And for, for, for people listening, they uh, if it's not obvious like around what this is the in terms of the mul- – it's a multi-purpose strap. So it's if you want to Google it and look look what it looks like, it's called the Felix – am I saying that right, Felix? Felix yoga strap. So you use it to tie up your uh, mat on your way to your practice. So, and, and there, if you look on the website, there is all sorts of ways to use this strap. And then the strap then doubles in the practice to help you, I guess, go deeper into stretches. Like, is it is it more aimed at the novice end of the yogis or is it more at the higher end? Like, Do you know, that's a really interesting question because a lot of people have this perception that straps are or it just any yoga prop in general, that it's like a weakness if you can't reach the floor and you use a block, or it's um, seen as a shortcoming if you're in Pashimotanasana, which is your forward fold and you can't reach your toes and you use your strap instead. But I think instead we need to reframe it as a way of kind of enhancing where you're at. So rather than it being a weakness, it's recognizing your own limitations, which in doing that is a personal strength in going, okay, well, you know what? I hate cold calling, but if I got a sales rep to help me out, you know, for two hours that I could perhaps afford, then, you know, that's taking my weakness and, you know, someone else's skill. So I think we need to be a little bit more like it's just acknowledging our own limitations as humans because none of us are amazing at everything. And particularly as 
um, startup people, we have to do everything. <laughs> so it's kind of going, okay, well, at what point am I wasting my time and how do I get help or find <laughs> something or a tool um, that I can use? So I realize I've deviated onto my own personal tangent there, but yeah, straps, not necessarily for beginners. It's an amazing way to reach some really epic poses and to build up your strengths. So it's a really, a really valuable tool. But yeah, thanks as well for that, that lovely description. What makes the strap different from everything else that's out on the market is this little, I'm being a bit braggy when I say it's gorgeous, but it's a really lovely little piece of wood. It's made from ply. It's shaped vaguely like a little arrowhead perhaps with a couple of slots in it. And those slots allow you to weave the strap in different ways that allow you to carry it as you'd normally expect to carry your strap, or carry your mat over your shoulder, but as well to hang it off your backpack or actually attach a travel mat to your bike or turns out I carried a poster tube this morning because um, I needed yeah. to pick up some things for a market. <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's got uses yeah, I guess if you've, as well. <laughs> if you've got it lying around, then like, you know, people are going to grab it and use it, right? Like if it's a sturdy strap and it's, you know, it's it's um, not going to get damaged or it, it wears well, people are going to use it. In terms of all of the ideas, like, do you ever feel that you were at a decision point where it was like, I've got this idea or I've got this other idea? Like, did you ever have to make a decision or does it was it just like, actually, this is just so clearly and an obvious that this is the decision I have to make? Do you know that first decision with the, uh-oh, I've got to do something with this? Like, that one was really clear. Ever since then, I've had every other entrepreneur's dilemma of two million ideas. Oh, I could take it in this direction. Oh, I could take it in this direction. <laughs> so I can completely understand, you know, people who are out there itching to find their idea, how hard that is. I would suggest a little bit of meditation on that one with the idea that, you know how if you toss a coin and you've got two options and the coin lands and you go, oh, I didn't want that one. You can kind of explore that when you're meditating and just sit for a little bit and kind of focus on what it is, where you think you might like to take it, and then pay attention to how you feel when you start to think about that. And if it's something that sort of sits nervously in your stomach or you find your breath sort of shortening, those kind of indicators that both stress and excitement related so you've got to do the got to do the mental work to work out which direction it is. Is it just straight up? Oh my gosh, this is huge! I'm a little bit scared. Or is it? I don't know that I can see that one through. And then you sit with the other one, and you you might find the reverse. Like you might get those same feelings, or you might get nothing and just go. It's so okay, fascinating. It's really fascinating because I sort of always viewed the world that there was. Oh, this is really like it's distilled into its simplest version. Two people, they're the real creatives, you know, and, and they're making decisions in and around the, their emotions. Like, does this make me feel good or not good? And then there are other people that really logical, like just A plus B equals C. It's black and white. It's, it's just so obvious in, the, in terms of the numbers. And I have spent 99.9% of my life over in the analytical space. And 
when you were saying what you were saying, then I'm like, okay, these, this is how, this is an emotional decision, really. Like, you're basically throwing it up into letting your imagination go wild, dreaming where this could go and what it might feel like, and then letting it just wash over you and deciding like, do I feel motivated to do this? Or does the, the thought of it make me sort of cringe or like, you know, you said focus on your breathing. You're, you're, you're going to the real micro level of sort of watching just intuitively how your body is reacting. Like, do you feel the adrenaline rush? Do you feel anxiety creeping in? Like you're paying real attention to the sort of emotional and the reactive part in the body. Like that is something I've never done. I don't even think I've ever talked to anyone about it. There's probably the ultimate decision making sits somewhere in the middle where you do a bit of both. Definitely. And it's not enough either. So once you've made your decision and you've gone, yeah, I'm super excited about this, like it doesn't necessarily mean anything until you take those first steps. I guess one of the things that you've got on your website is around that you're, you do sustainably, ethically and responsibly. I'm interested to know how you balance that up against the consumer who's sitting there thinking, well, I, this thing could be good for me. But if it's $500 because it was you know, manufactured in Australia, and we, everyone knows that manufacturing in Australia generally costs more, but the, the, the flip side of that coin is if it's sustainable, it's like, well, look, it's likely made locally because we're, you know, that way it's not being shipped all around the world into, you know, in and out of distribution centers and finally to your door. It's, it says carbon footprints lower. There's, I don't know, there's a whole raft of things there about how far do you let those things go up against trying to keep the price at a point where it's not, and I'm just, I'm going to exaggerate, like bankrupting the, the end consumer. Like, because if no one can afford it, then it's not really Then I'm in all good. sorts of trouble. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying, by the way, that your product is unaffordable. Like I, I had a look. I think most people would think it's very reasonable. It's just there's a juggling act here because to be everything to everyone becomes near impossible and you have to draw a line somewhere. You do. And in part, I've been able to add those extra securities around it because it is – Uh, like not only am I using local materials, but manufacturing locally, it means I can keep a real eye on the quality as well. And in doing that and knowing that, so the ethical part comes into it, that Australia has some pretty incredible work laws. You can be sure that along in that very first factory that is producing the webbing for me that they haven't got people working 14-hour shifts at $10 an hour or $0.20 cents an hour if it was offshore, that they, that they are able to go home to see their families at the end of the night. They're not living you know, in the factory or in a dorm room at the other end of a car park that they have to catch a bus to work to and they don't get to go home except for once a year or something like that. So there's, there's those things that sit there and I think people are becoming more aware that their purchases have impacts on other people's lives. And I think no one wants to be responsible for causing anyone else pain. So I think slowly, slowly our mind shifts mindset is going to shift around that. But the the great thing is that with those pieces in place, the the being made locally, is 
I've got a guarantee on this for two years. So I know I have absolutely trashed all my samples. I have um, thrown all my weight at them. I've put them through the washing machine multiple times. I got one. I wasn't paying attention when I was having a conversation and I dropped the strap while I was chatting to someone wrapping it around my bike. The whole thing got covered in chain oil (laughs) and it's gone through the wash and it's fine. So I know that. Oh, and with the wood before my crowdfunding campaign, I threw it in the bathtub um, and had it soaking in water. I left one in a pot plant on the back doorstep. So Melbourne weather, it got rained on, got dirty. It had snails going over it. That wasn't ideal. (laughs) It wasn't part of the plan, but, you know, wet, dry, that kind of conditions that realistically you wouldn't be putting your strap through. Maybe it'd get wet a little bit um, on your way into class, but not completely soaked like I had done. I soaked it, dried it, soaked it, dried it um, to see if it would swell or expand and I found that surprisingly, given that it is um, ply, so it's layers and layers of very thin bits of wood, that it didn't expand or contract. So I've put sort of these mechanisms in place. It means I can repair and refurbish. I've got a recycling scheme attached to it so we can make sure that they don't end up in landfill at the very end of their life. So I'm hoping that that alongside the versatility of it, that you're essentially buying two things in one and that that one thing, the carry strap, can be used multiple ways so it's not limited the way a standard strap that's mass manufactured would be. So I'm kind of, I'm hoping that those things help shape people's sort of openness to it. Oh, I think- a um, lot going on. Yeah, there is. And I mean, I think being able to include that stuff from the start of a product is important because trying to do it at the end to kind of greenwash the product, I think that sucks. And I think your, your consumers see straight through it. Like I think, you know, people are looking for authenticity. And if you look at yoga, like a lot of the yogis that, you know, these are community-minded, these are people doing the right thing normally. Like that tells me that your customer is almost demanding a certain level. And I'd say that, fundamentally your approach probably was right straight from like your intentions from this the start were right in terms of material selection like you talked about the testing for anyone that's like looking at this going hmm australian manufacturing how did you do like your material selection i'm a bit crafty in crafty and sustainable i kind of i look at everything when it's kind of a little bit dead and go okay well this bag now has a hole in the bottom of it you know it's Is it worth repairing? No, probably not, but that zipper is still good. So I'll rip out the zipper and I'll keep that. So I've got a massive collection of various bits and pieces that have been salvaged. So, and I had another piece with some buckles on it from a satchel that had been like a promo giveaway and the promo print had been tragic and put kind of colours all over clothes. So that had gone into the rubbish, but I, the strap that went with it was quite a nice piece of um, webbing. So I started sort of playing with all of these bits and pieces that I just had you know, in what was my craft cupboard. Yeah, okay. So you basically played around with that. And then when it came to the material selection, so the, like the webbing, mm-hmm. like how did you find a supplier for that? Google. Yeah, okay, so just Google, you, you found someone, was it in 
Hey, where are you based? You're in New South Wales? I'm in Melbourne. Oh, you are in Melbourne. Okay, yeah. so you found a, a Victorian manufacturer of webbing. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, it, this is interesting, like someone doing doing this, they're going to feel a bit of a fraud, right? Because they've, they they don't even know really how many people are going to want this. They're, they're unsure. And at this moment in time, you pick the phone up and you dial this number, which, which you found on Google, or you send an email inquiry in saying, hey, I'm, I'm after a strap that needs to be approximately this long. Do you do this? Is that how it un- unfolds? Yeah, I had a couple of little sort of explorations early on as well. I started with um, a folding up fabric and kind of jeans and things going, right, how can I use recycled materials for this? Knowing that, um, and like you said before, it looks that yogis are people who are more predisposed to care. But in that being a yogi myself, regardless if if I was making a, a yoga strap or a pair of shoes, these things are wildly important to me as a person. So I would have kind of followed that path regardless. But I started actually calling textiles recyclers and did they have anything resembling webbing or could they kind of create something? And then I looked at the time that would go into cutting, folding, sewing all of these pieces into straps. And I explored some. I've got the graphic designer who helped me put together the um, patent application has a very early original, which is, um, it's got llamas and Christmas hats. <laughs> some fabric yeah, yeah. that I've tried. So... Um, she's got that with some buckles off an old bag and in kind of because it was something that was so difficult conceptually to explain she's like I just kind of need one that I can have it sitting around while I'm trying to sketch this for this application so that was the the early early renditions and then I I moved along the way to webbing and kind of went oh it's got the got the petrochemicals and things in it but in that, because it's the way that it's woven, it's ridiculously strong. So I kind of reconciled myself with, okay, so at the moment, it hasn't got a recycled element to it, but it does have the, the, the low mileage footprint and the, the long lasting, which are both kind of sustainable elements. I am though hoping to leverage my my current job to find someone who will be able to weave in, say, some recycled bottles or fishing nets, which is a really common plastic material that's available out there that can be woven. So looking at it, and <laughs> Yeah, and I can't – it's hard for me looking at the image to see exactly how long it is, but my brain immediately looks at it and thinks – It's about two metres. About two metres. It's probably not long enough, but I'd be tempted to go to like a, a car yard, a wreckers, and um, pull out some old seat belts out of the front seat, retractable seat belts, and see if it was uh, long enough. The the low mileage vintage series, I like it. Yoga strap. Yes. Yeah, because that would be super strong and definitely they're quite soft. Yep, you'd need to almost double it over though; it would be quite wide. Was the what was the first step? Like, did you did you just go straight at it and try and create the side hustle? Did you go through an incubator? Did you go to any sort of third parties for assistance like how did that first day when it's like I'm, I'm starting what do I do 
gosh, I'm feeling like I should have kept a, a journal. I got rejected from so many incubators. They kind of came back with feedback that they only worked with digital companies or they weren't interested in someone who only had a single product. So there were a lot of knockbacks, but I really, I actively sought out that sort of support. And interestingly, when I had gone through, I went, fine, I can do this by myself. There's the internet. The internet has all of the answers to every question ever. Someone out there has done this before. I'll just find the people who have. And I looked at kind of product validation through, I had a series of testers. I took the took the strap initially to a yoga festival and had a stand there before I looked at doing production. And so I kind of sought feedback from that. Were people interested? Did they need a strap? And I'm looking around, seeing all of the people walking around with their little chicken arms, trying to hold on to their mats with the, you know, the little hand on the hip and the I'm a little teapot sort of slouch that goes with trying to hold it <laughs> and the bags yeah. falling open with the mats falling out. And the, yeah. People hugging them, trying to balance their phones and their coffees. And so like, yep, this is, it's definitely needed. So this is that's your way of, I guess, for anybody out there that's got their idea, you're basically testing the market here and going, is anyone interested? Am I getting some sales? And then this is going to be my motivation to take it to the next level. Did, what, what sort of feedback did you get from the festival? Did you sell anything? Well, that was really to see if it was worth selling or doing more. So I did that as a way of getting email addresses before I really threw any money at it or put a huge amount of time in it. So what I had was uh, a couple of straps, the wooden locks I'd made at the library (laughs) and the makerspace after almost breaking the CNC machine because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) That's awesome though because like you you basically, what you're describing is a shoestring side hustle with almost no money down. You don't even have like the facilities really to – manufacture and you're prototyping out of your library using a CNC machine like <laughs> that's pretty resourceful like and like it's amazing like what even made you think that the library has these facilities just google again how did I I kind of wanted to do them like I thought oh maybe laser cut so I started with cardboard and then sort of messed around from there and it turned out that how did I find it I've got library memberships everywhere I'm I'm a huge reader. I've got probably four or five business books on the go at the moment, another two on meditation, one on how the brain works. I'm really, I'm just consuming everything all of the time. Anyone who doesn't have a library membership, go and get one. And if you're in Melbourne, I've just joined the Start Space this week. That is a space specifically for small businesses um, and startups. And they have all of the business books you need, but also free Wi-Fi and a, a space that you can work from and hire meeting rooms so you can look a bit legit. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. But go get a library membership because they've got everything. I'm a little bit jealous of the men's sheds. They seem to have all of the good stuff and not being a man or over 50, they seem inaccessible to me. <laughs> they'd, probably be quite welcome. they'd probably be quite welcoming though. They might be. I haven't oh, well, kind I of mustered up to, uh, to rock up. I've been able to work without them, but still. 
Yeah, I'm a male under 50, and I, I still find it daunting. I haven't rocked up to one. But I, I'm interested. They have, like, these open days every now and then, and you sort of I've popped into one and had a look at all the woodwork that went there, and it was, it was quite amazing. Yeah, I feel like they'd have all the good stuff. Digressing again, sorry. No, no, this is, this is excellent. <laughs> We're going well. So we've got a product. It, you've, you've sold some or you've ta- at least taken orders or email addresses at this festival enough that you've gone, hmm, like I might be onto something here. Like people, people were interested. People are going to be interested how you, you finally start to lock in all the pieces. You've got the product. How did you decide to launch it? Ah, yes. Next step was a um, crowdfunding campaign. So I found a, a CNC carver, again, local. And intentionally, again, I was kind of seeking out those people that were one or two person operations going, right, I'm a small business. I'm going to support all of the other small businesses. So I found someone who was able to kind of produce these for me. And we did a little test run just of about, I think we did 20 locks initially. So lock being the, um, the mechanism that I referenced before that gives it that versatility to change the shapes. So did that just to test that, you know, if this came together, was I going to be able to deliver? So that came through and they were great. Like, yep, this is this is a win. This was, of course, they're going to be great after, you know, I'd already done oh, a dozen at least at the makerspace to come up with this design. So there was a lot of mucking around before I got to actually giving anyone some money to to produce them. It was 150 for the setup costs and then there was a the cost of the wood and then the cost of the time for the machine to run. And the design, so they're normally after a CAD file or something. Did you do the design up or did they do that? Oh, I had done it with the files from the makerspace and I did I have a small advantage here in that I had initially there's a fantastic Instagram post and I I really should pin it, but of all of the cardboard cutouts that I had done to come up with this idea, because when I worked out, okay, I need it to be functioning in this way. I don't want to use plastic. I don't want to use a buckle. Um, And I did all of the cardboard cutouts. I then uh, had a design that worked. I put that on a piece of graph paper. I went over to my husband and I said, help, (laughs) can you make this a graphics file? And he did. And then I took that to the maker space and was playing with it. And of course, it didn't work at all. But by then, I had the lines on the computer screen. And with some pretty tragic click dragging of the mouse, I was able to manipulate it in such a way that it's now the designer is today. So, yeah, so I had those things in place. The crowdfunding, I used the contacts that I'd got from the market, from the um, yoga festival. Sorry. I only had maybe 50 or 60 people on it and that was from the mark uh, from the festival and from a survey that I'd done in a yoga group as well asking people you know was sustainability important to them how many mats did they have how did they carry them most teachers actually leave theirs at the mat at the studios because they're so inconvenient however with COVID now, studios that previously held student mats don't like to do that with a 
kind of, no, you need to take it away, sanitise it yourself. We don't want all of these extra sort of things sitting around because um, it's harder to clean. So I'm not sure what's happening with teachers' mats now, but that was kind of the thing beforehand that they just went, no, nah, they're really annoying. <laughs> Leave it at the studio. I don't like to carry it anyway. So, you know, if you've got yoga professionals essentially going, no, they're way too annoying, you know, need a strap or an easy way to carry it, then that was a, a pretty good sign. I was on to some things. So I did a series of emails to them to say, hey, I'm going up on crowdfunding. Come support me. I'd love it if you'd buy a mat, tell your friends, tell your studio, that kind of thing. So um, made a bit of noise. Yep. The platform, how did you, which, which one did you launch on? I initially used Kickstarter and spent a long time reading all of their guidelines, put a video together with, I dragged the neighbours out because they were within the 5K rule and at that point you're allowed to take a couple of people out. <laughs> it took them out and took a friend who's a photographer who had a drone, like, he's like, can I please play with my my thing? I'll give you some footage. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. I then learned how to edit um, sitting in front of the computer with YouTube on one screen and Premiere on the laptop kind of going, okay, right, how do I stop, copy, repeat, um, put a video together and then all the graphics and things. That's the sort of, for those that haven't been to the crowdfunding, it's sort of the intro video to the product that then leads them into, do they call it rewards or the awards or something? Yes. But yeah. So you basically buy into levels, I guess. And you right, walk us through, like, so I know what the process is like. It's, it's painful. There's a lot of screens. There's banking information. There's taxation issues. There's all sorts of stuff in getting the Kickstarter campaign ready. Yeah. And there's then, a lot. Yeah. So you do it all. I mean, you've already proven at this point that you're quite resourceful. You're, you know, the, you're deconstructing stuff, you're building stuff, you're taking files into libraries and then hacking away at programs that you're probably not even you know, used to using. You're, you've basically got the product out, you've hacked together this campaign. I'm assuming by this stage you're not, you haven't spent a lot of money. No. Presuming a few hundred dollars at this point. Yeah, yeah, it was really like low, 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 low cost. Walk us through that sort of that day where you hit the launch button? What, what are the emotions? What's the, you know, how did you even pick the day? Oh, yeah, there was a, a bit of science behind it. Suggested day for launches is a Thursday, is apparently the most popular. And the idea is to get in and to make a lot of noise before the weekend and to be featured prominently um, by the weekend. They pick out campaigns that are moving quickly and profile them. So same as every other bit of software that goes, oh, yeah, everyone loves this. Let's share it because it'll get more clicks. People will stay on our platform for longer. Exactly the same with crowdfunding. If you get a lot of interest really quickly, you're more likely to get visibility in response to that. So the sort of help guides all recommended later in the week with the idea that you could use the beginning of the week as a countdown to say, hey, we're launching this week. Hey, we're launching in two days. We're launching tomorrow. Jump on board, start clicking all of the buttons, uh, make this as popular as possible. So you've got your 
your video, which they suggest is key. Having spent quite a bit of time on the platform checking out everyone else's campaigns, I stopped clicking the videos and went straight to the text to see what things were about. I don't know if other people do the same, but it was considered essential to have a video. So that shouldn't be more than, I think it was three minutes tops. And then you have, with the crowdfunding, each, it's kind of like pre-shopping or pre-sales, only there's no guarantee. So it could be that you're buying into a product, it could be that you're buying into a theatre show, or it could be that you're buying into, I don't know, maybe a comic book or something. So the how they work is you either get all of the funding, which will be enough to launch whatever you have promised, or you get none of the funding because the assumption is if you don't reach that target or your target is set to cover your minimum cost to get something off the ground. So people essentially buy what gets called rewards. Uh, So I had yoga straps in different configurations with a one at this amount, two at this amount, and then incentives for people to commit early with early Early bird pricing. Yeah. Yep. So the the morning of was nerve-wracking. I had done a series of social media posts. I had the emails out. I had some timed things set up, ready to go. And I had a a media release that I put up on a bunch of free websites for anyone who is keen to make a bit of noise and get some links. There are lots of free sites that you can share uh, press releases with. doesn't guarantee you that any of the media will read them but it does give you at the very least a backlink to your site to say, hey, this website over here um, is linked or has someone linking to them. Uh, So the the hope is that you put these things up and people go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I need to publicize that. That didn't happen for me. Instead, I got washed with a whole stack of spam, which initially was wildly exciting. (laughs) That was, uh, hey, come come over here. We've got these great things. We'd love to talk to you more. And then you dig into them and you find that actually, no, they're just, they're trying to sell you something. The process is over, over quite overwhelming. There's a lot there. Like people just think, oh, I'll spin up a crowdfunding sort of page and it's yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of compliance in there. It's not just a half a day setup. No. I think lots of people look at it and go, Oh yeah, I just fill in this form and I tell people about this thing that I want to do and I say how much money I want and then people will give me money. But it's not it really is you bring your own audience, they just facilitate the transaction. I think that is a key learning we had. So a friend of mine and I did a launch on Kickstarter. We put zero effort into building audience. Well, we did a little bit, but we were like, well, it's going to Kickstarter. Look at the sheer volume of eyeballs that go there. You look at things like the flow hive and there's all these you know, major things that happen. Products go b- berserk on there. They do. But then you quickly realize that you're one in 40,000 and unless you bring in your own audience, they're not going to bring it. And they look for an element of critical mass to happen first. And then if they see that there's some decent sales, i.e. Kickstarter is going to make some money out of it, all of a sudden they start featuring you up and they'll start pushing because they realize they're going to put a lot more money in their pocket if they do that. Whereas, yeah, largely anything small that doesn't bring an audience is not really working for them because there's not a lot of money in it for them. That was our experience. 
Yeah, um, I, I so would second that. You put it up. You assume that the bulk of your sales were from your email lists. Yes. Yeah, but I did get a little bit of awareness from elsewhere, and that was great. Like that was my intention on going on Kickstarter because it did have those extra eyeballs. And the hope, of course, is always that you're going to reach that critical mass. I did end up jumping over to a new platform that launched partway through and I was their uh, kind of test person while they were building this crowdfunding um, platform specifically for female founders, which is called Lift by a Melbourne lady. It's Matt here. I hope you're loving the podcast so far. I just wanted to say that after we recorded this podcast, I reached out to Irene, who was the founder of Lift Women, to see if they could help us get more women into a side hustle. She's given us a great exclusive. It's down in the show notes. Check it out for the sponsor. Back to our fabulous hustler, Jen Painter. And so I was able to bounce over there and take the people that I had been talking to on Kickstarter with me, which was fantastic because it meant as well that we had this great little relationship where we went backwards and forwards with media opportunities with a, hey, we've got this new this new platform, come check out our projects. And I was able to say, hey, I'm over on this new platform, come support me and see you know, what other uh, female founders are doing because there's some really intimidating stats going into this on when you look at VC funding, it's predominantly goes to male or businesses that are led by men. So this this funding platform is trying to address that balance. Liftwomen.com. And I think the interesting thing about it is it's it's largely for Australian women looking to be a founder and, and do their own side hustle or startup. It's, it's literally targeted at Australian women. It's not a global platform where Australian women get lost in the mix. Its sole focus is mainly Australian women, right? Yeah, it is. And yeah. did you have a connection to them at all or you just found them? They popped up in my Instagram, one of those instances where you're you know, your history and search kind of patterns brings up something useful. You, trend, you transition your campaign onto Lift Women. What happens then? What happens then? I got funded. That's amazing. Well it really done. was. It was, yeah, wildly exciting um, to kind of have that endorsement and to go, okay. Did it happen yep. quickly? Did it happen quickly? So I assume like getting funded, like that means you set a limit. So you go, I would like to raise $2,000 or something like that in sales. And you, you start selling the straps. I think you might have had an early bird at like $40 or $50 for the strap. And people start buying. And then when it hits the $2,000 mark or thereabouts, the campaign goes live and you are now funded. That, that period of time, do you feel that Lift Women helped provide an audience for that? Or was it just... Up more marketing activities? Uh, probably more marketing and activities. So they did have a bit around, you know, that they were just kicking off as well. So there was a bit of like a lot of the people that came over had come from my Kickstarter. I think the a lot of the value that I've had has been that I've been able to promote that I was the first ever funded with that, which is kind of a nice little story. 
and I guess like they they're invested in you at this point because they would they want to see you go well. So yeah. they'll be they would have been doing the PR machine would have been running, pumping out the press releases that you know Australian founder gets gets funded. Yes. Yeah, it's been a, a great thing to be part of. And I think people jumping in now because it is getting more projects and what happens is every project that's on there, they have their own audiences that they send over and then those audiences kind of drift across and go, oh, actually that other project over there looks interesting. So it starts to build that little bit mo- more momentum. So I imagine people jumping on now would have more visibility than say I did, but it's not as saturated as the other bigger platforms the community that you basically join when you go into lift women i think that that's a stronger community than what you're going to find on kickstarter if you had a do-over would you still go the crowdfunding path i would definitely do the crowdfunding because if you launch it by yourself you need to create all of the noise and you do a crowdfunding you're saying all of that, but you're doing it in a way that invites people to be part of the process. So the money that I received from the crowdfunding went straight to the CNC guy who was able to cut the locks for me. So it's like you are not just buying a thing off the shelf. You are investing in a business and helping to create something that has the potential to be amazing. So there's a a bit of a difference there. And I think it probably appeals to different people as well. Like some people really want the tried and tested. You know, I I know this, I'm comfortable with the brand. They've been around for forever. And other people like the excitement of this is brand new. This is never seen before. It hasn't been done before. I'm going to be one of the very first. So it's just, it's two different audiences, I suppose. But if, I guess another way to look at it, if you had, let's say, through all this process, you've taken some feedback and I'm assuming your brain has run wild with all the other things you could do <laughs> and the things that accompany a product like this. You know me so well after half an hour. This is it's impressive. Yes. <laughs> and, and if you had sort of version 2.0 or product 2.0, would you launch it back through the crowdfunding model or do you now just run with your website and your audience and cut them out of the picture? Because they, 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 they take quite a bit of a cut, right? They do. But as well, if you look at, like I've been reading all of these terrifying things on people spending money on Facebook advertising and people are spending up to 20% of their profit margin on advertising on Facebook. Like if you look comparatively, it's, it's much smaller. If I was to launch again, I certainly made a lot of changes between testing and launching to do a mark two. I've got a few things. I'm going to a market, like a maker's market, and I've got a new uh, variation on a strap that I'm exploring. So I got some great feedback from someone with with Felix that they're like, yes, I absolutely love it. All I need is a key ring to attach my locker key to so I can carry everything. So I've had a bit of a play with that and I've got a strap that I'm just going to, like just a prototype that I'm going to get some feedback on at this market. So we'll see. I might be doing a new crowdfunding campaign soon for variation two. If you were to consider, you know, whatever the next product might be, if you'd take that back through 
crowdfunding and you go through Lift Women, I think that's probably the best endorsement really because you're saying, actually, this model works. I'm happy to you know give up a margin because I feel that there's enough audience there. There's enough of a... I don't have to commit to the production run. I can basically get a feel for the market and just see what happens by going through this model and it works for you. So the fact that you would go back to them for a second go, because a lot of people would say with Kickstarter that they would never go back. I've heard the same with Indiegogo, but the fact you're saying uh, lift women, you would definitely consider going back there with a second product. I think that speaks volumes to the platform. Yeah, definitely. I think that element of community is what makes it um, of value. And it's just, it's really, it's just a bit of a showcase to create a bigger audience. We're getting pretty close to the end. Do you have any sort of final words of advice? Someone that they're sitting on the, the side regarding their uh, side hustle, they're, they might be in a career, they're petrified, they're unsure of starting, like words of advice. Oh, do you know what the secret to everything is? Everyone's scared all the time about everything. <laughs> Like even the people that are that are right up there, like you, Tony Robbins, he still gets scared. You know, Oprah still gets scared. All of the, like, all of the people that you look at and go, they've got it figured out. The answer is they don't. None of us, straight up, no one has it figured out. And I think the the biggest kind of way to to recognize is straight up, none of us are special. We are all you know, just variations of imperfect humans and your imperfectness is exactly what you need to get up to make it happen. Everybody's in the same, same boat. Yeah. So, so there's straight up, there's, there's no special skills. The difference is the people that do it and the people that don't do it. And if you can't wrap your head around that, go and do yoga for a bit and then you kind of come out at the other end. You go, all right, okay, yep, we're all the same. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the key difference is what, in what you just said is that some people do it, some people don't. It's, it's just starting. And it's nervous. Uh, it's very nervous. The foot's twitching. That first step is like really painful. Like creating the inertia of change is terrible. Like picking up the phone to call the supplier about webbing and you don't even know what you're talking about. And they start oh, talking yeah. about safety standards and you're like, oh, what like, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, yeah. And, and the answer is to just start doing it. And there are so many resources out there and people that you can hit up for help. Is it Vic Business? I'll find the link for you. There's actually a government website that is brilliant for people who kind of need that foundation because a lot of people might just jump in and go and start selling things and then kind of find actually they're in trouble you know, not that long later because they haven't checked some of the basic things um, like is someone else already trading with this name and they've accidentally gone and got themselves sued by someone who says, hey, that's that's me. Um, you can't use that. So there's some really great stuff on things that you should do to make sure that you're not going to get yourself in trouble. And it's stuff like getting your ABN. And yeah, we're probably a bit late in the interview, but you did mention earlier about getting a patent. So in terms of you know, sort of ass covering. So you did go out and get a patent. You you dropped a fair bit of money in this process. What made you decide to do that versus just doing it? Oh, now that's actually like a really significant one because if you are going to patent something, 
you can't tell anyone before you do. You have to keep your design secret. It can't be seen in the public anyway. You can't do a social media post. Maybe you can tell your mum. So to protect your IP, you need to get your patent in early. With that, you then get 12 months in which you can test it before the patent actually goes live. So you can go and explore and change it around a little bit within that before your before your registration goes through. I'm assuming at some point you went then took that to a patent attorney and said, this is where I'm at. I think it's time we register my patent. Do you know what it was? It was actually a complete coincidence. And I met a patent lawyer there. And I, when I worked out what I'd done, I had a coffee with him and said, what do I, what do, I do? What are the benefits? How does this whole system work? The story is incredible. And just the, the cha- you sort of change tack in the middle of it with the platform. You then sort of find the community with the Lyft women. Yeah, and it, that's that's the real advantage of going out and doing doing these things yourself. You get to control all of the bits, and you don't. It's it's interesting now actually that I'm sitting between the the side hustle being less side now that it gets a whole dedicated two days a week. But the interesting thing is you go between the the side hustle days and the official work days, and the official work days feels so much easier by comparison. Someone else is in charge of most of the decisions. You're just problem solving at this really, not as a superficial level, but a really manageable level. Whereas the, the side hustle days, like they're, they're big, they take a lot of thinking. Um, they're intense. Yeah, but that's, that's exciting. It is. Jen, it's, I think it's obvious to anyone that's listening why you're successful. I think you're a hardworking you're very focused. You seem quite structured. Everyone looking at it wishes you well. And I guess to summarize just sort of eloquently about where someone might start, there's an old proverb. It was a journey of a thousand miles begins with just one step. And I feel that sort of summarizes, you know, you rolling around on the floor with a piece of weather. <laughs> and, um, and, and here we are today. Another one that I also really liked was, I think it was, I'm going to, I'm going to change it a bit. A woman who moves a mountain begins by carrying small stones and yeah, I wish you the best of luck. I think, I think everyone's going to learn something here. We'll include all the links in the show notes. I also wanted to point out that you have a meditation challenge coming up. I highly recommend signing up to your newsletter. The link is also in the show notes. Chen Painter, thanks for being on Sideshow Hustle. You've been listening to the Sideshow Hustle Podcast.